and I'm very excited to speak with you this morning. Thank you, what a warm welcome. Okay, I'm so glad you're already participating because I have a quick poll. When I use the phrase uh, non-answer, does that mean anything to anyone here? Okay, some people, some agree. Well, I prepared a definition. So uh, a non-answer is when someone responds to your question without providing any actual information. Here's a few examples, courtesy of my husband. Babe, where are you going? Out. Honey, what are you playing? A game. So now, again, keeping the spirit of participation. This is good. I want to see if everyone here is getting the hang of this. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'd like for you to just shout out the non-answer, okay? Hey, Discovery, what are you eating? Yeah, great. Oh, Discovery, what are you reading? Man, you guys nailed it. Great job. And in case it's not clear yet, non-answers are one of my pet peeves. So when I read the four Gospels, or the four books about Jesus' life, I have to assume that a lot of the people he interacts with feel like they get non-answers from him. I mean, this dude is out here answering questions with parables or other questions. And I can tell you that when I imagine myself being with Jesus in person and having these interactions, I feel like I would get super annoyed, like all of the time. And sometimes I like to imagine kind of dropping myself into a Bible story, but clearly lacking the appropriate cultural context. And unfortunately, this is often how I've approached the Bible in my lifetime, and I think a lot of us do it. Um, but this time it's on purpose. So it goes like this. I'm in one of these stories where I talk to Jesus, and I walk back to my friends, and they're waiting for me. And they're like, well, did he answer your question? No, he just told me this weird story about farming. Are you serious? So as I sit with the character of Jesus, right, and wrestle with the tension of the entire arc of scripture, I'm starting to actually appreciate that he doesn't just transmit information to people. One of our values in this community is emphasizing questions over answers because we believe that Jesus invites us to a faith journey that is full of tensions between mystery and understanding, grief and joy, trust and doubt. And in Jesus, we find the ultimate guide to lead us towards experiencing a God who is far bigger than anything that we can define or imagine. And knowing that Jesus usually errs on the side of mystery makes today's text very interesting, excuse me, because he actually gives a direct answer. But before we jump into the story, I just want to pray for our time. God, thank you that you um, are revealing yourself all around us all the time. Your kingdom is bursting forth in ways that undermine and uh, surprise us. Um, God, would you please um, help us to um, unpack any obstacles that we have to participating in your kingdom this morning? Would you please... Um, Show up in this way for us, God, um, and help us to be uh, attuned to your movement in and around us. In Jesus' name, amen. So you can meet me in Mark 12, 28 through 34, and it will be on the screen. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more importantly, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. So not only does Jesus give a direct answer in this story, but for once, a religious leader asks him a genuine question. Now, we've been in the Gospel of Mark for a while, and we keep seeing these interactions between Jesus and religious leaders where these guys approach him with the intention to, like, challenge him or somehow enforce their own systems of authority. But this teacher of the law approaches Jesus with this totally different posture. It says that he hears people debating with Jesus, and he notices that Jesus is giving good answers. So there's something about this man's inner world that makes him like curious and attentive. He's ready to receive good news. And as a teacher of the law, he is an expert on the mitzvot, or this collection of over 600 Jewish commandments. So he spends a lot of time thinking about these laws and their application and importance. And that could be why he asked Jesus which law is the most important. Right? Or he could be trying to like, get a sense of Jesus' stances or leanings. To me, it doesn't actually matter what he's going for, because I believe that what Jesus is responding to in this moment is his sincere curiosity. And his response begins with this statement called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This would be extremely familiar to this teacher, the Shema is a declaration at the center of Jewish identity, and it means our God is supremely unique and exclusively worthy of our devotion. And the Shema is repeated through all kinds of daily prayers to form the people who say and hear it on a regular basis. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So orient all of your affection and intentions towards God with your heart. Use your intellect to reflect on God's ways and seek God's wisdom with your mind. Pour your physical energy into expressing love of God with your strength. All of that to say, the most important commandment is to love God with the entirety of your being. You know how to do that, right? You can just check those off your list. But he doesn't stop there. He brings up this other law saying, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Got it. All right. So I think we're all good now. We can just head out and we know exactly how we're going to perform this, right? So the response to this question is straightforward. But these two commandments are not easy and I would argue that they're not simple. And I don't think that Jesus is power ranking these two things either or that he just can't resist adding another one because he binds them together by declaring that no single commandment is greater than these two intertwined. So according to Jesus, our love of God is inseparable from our love of others. Love of others will always flow out of loving God. And this dynamic interconnection is consistent with the entire arc of scripture, 
right? Starting with creation in the book of Genesis. God designs all of reality to exist as this rich matrix of relationship. It's a relational reality. And in chapter 1, God is creating all of these wonderful things, right? There's light, the sun, the moon, and the stars, the oceans and the birds, the sea creatures. And it follows this pattern of describing God forming this aspect of creation, followed by the phrase, and God saw that it was good. Six times it says, and God saw that it was good. But then at the end, it shifts to God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So there's inherent goodness in these individual pieces of creation, but when you stand back and you take in the relationality of all things, the way the stars tell us the seasons and the seasons help us plant the right seeds for food, the moon shifting the tides, all of the intricate ecosystems throughout the world, when you take in the complexity of it all interwoven together, that is very good. And I'm borrowing heavily here from author and activist Lisa Sharon Harper because she does wonderful work unpacking the creation story in her book, The Very Good Gospel. She tells us that the Hebrew word for good is tov, and that when we translate uh, very good, it's actually tov mayad, which could be translated as forcefully good. I love that, forcefully good. In the beginning, God declared all of creation to be very good, or tov mayad. The writers of Genesis were not only speaking to, or were speaking not only to the separate parts of creation, but also of the connections between things. The connections between things. The individual pieces of creation are good, but it's the connections between them that inspires wonder. And the goodness of relationship is inherent to this concept that we call shalom. Lisa Sharon Harper writes, Shalom says that we are all cub of relationships. To affect one is to affect them all. So if we go back to the greatest commandment question and we apply this lens of shalom, the forceful goodness of relationship has massive implications for us. And when we return there, we find the man wholeheartedly receives Jesus' response He says, you are right in saying God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And this is so interesting to me because this man was deeply educated in all these laws around like cleanliness, hand washing, making different sacrifices, what you could wear, what you could eat. And there was this common approach to his faith that elevated focusing on your individual practices to cultivate your own sense of goodness and righteousness. Does that sound familiar to anybody? But he sees and hears Jesus through all of that context. And he understands that Jesus is inviting him towards something bigger and deeper than a system. Jesus is inviting him to wholeness over individual goodness. And we can pursue goodness, and that is a worthy thing, right? We pursue goodness by cultivating helpful rhythms and habits, by paying attention uh, to expressions of our character, our ethics, trying to do what's right. That is a healthy part of our formation and our spirituality. However, the pursuit of goodness can easily and often become a cover-up for the pursuit of personal perfection, 
And personal perfection is about performance. Personal perfection is a one-way ticket to pride or to shame because the focus of personal perfection is me. And that distortion of goodness actually cuts me off from relationship with God, with myself, and with others. Pastor Steve recently encouraged us to think of our life and our being as a river instead of a pond. And if we take that image and we apply it to goodness, just look at whether the so-called goodness stops with you and your individual private behavior or if it flows out of you and facilitates relationship. Because goodness that doesn't ultimately lead us into God's relational reality is not an expression of God's kingdom. It's not gospel. It's not good news. And I would argue it's not even really good. To go back to Lisa Sharon Harper, the work of the kingdom of God is not to make us perfect. The work of the kingdom of God is to make us whole and reconnected to God, to each other, to the rest of creation, and to ourselves. When we pursue whole goodness in the context of relationship, and when we pursue wholeness, we can't read the Bible and pray, but then cut ourselves off from our coworkers who don't share our views. Right? We can't attend these spiritual gatherings together, but ignore marginalized people. We can't say God has created our bodies, but not care about the planet. And we can't truly love others if we don't believe that we're loved. In other words, we can't love God without loving our neighbor because there is no division in the relational reality of God's kingdom. And this is deeply countercultural. This other kingdom that we live in celebrates rugged individualism and independence. We're conditioned to participate in systems of consumption that harm people that we can't see. We shop around for communities that make us feel safe and comfortable and affirmed. And churches tend to reflect individual consumeristic culture more often than we challenge it. And on top of all of that, we can get caught up in questioning our own worthiness or others' worthiness when God has already declared us as worthy and loved. And so we never move from receiving good news to being good news. We become pawns instead of rivers. And if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, oh man, I hope we see ourselves with love, with compassion, with honesty, wholeness. Having a right connection with God, with ourselves and with others, that's wholeness. And in our cruciform or cross-shaped reality, our love flows vertically and horizontally because this is the space where we are not far from the kingdom of God. And I recently had an invitation to live out wholeness over goodness. So if you'll indulge me one more time, I want to take you all with me on an adventure to the glorious state of Iowa. Memorial Day weekend has just started, and I am totally jet-lagged, curled up next to my father-in-law on an overstuffed couch. And my brother-in-law's very comfortable home is just filling with wave after wave of relatives. And I've met everyone before at least one time, but I haven't spent like a lot of time with most people. 
And I don't want get to get in the way or make it awkward as siblings and grandparents, aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews and cousins come together for the first time in a long time. And my father-in-law is this quiet bear of a man. And I can count on being able to watch this scene unfold next to him and just kind of feel anchored in a stillness. And all around us, people are greeting and hugging one another or laughing and catching up over snacks. And honestly, I am so content to just observe this beautiful moment. I love to watch people, especially families. But to my surprise, my father-in-law leans over to me and he says in his baritone voice, sometimes I just think about what a good family we have, how it's a good family and all my kids married good people. As someone who married into this family, these words go down deep knowing that in the middle of a crowded room full of people enjoying each other, the goodness of this family is not the sum of the individuals. It's a web of unique, interconnected relationships, and it's multiplying in exponential joy that you can see, hear, touch, and taste. It's so good. It's Tov Mayad. And even though I don't share in the decades of stories, even though I've only met some folks once or twice, my father-in-law is happy to claim me and include me in the goodness of his family just because I've come to participate. He gives me this gift of declaring I'm part of something good. There's no need to earn anything. There's no threshold of time or qualification. I can melt into being part of something bigger than me and the goodness of us together is so much richer than any goodness that I could cultivate on my own. And this gives me this incredible sense of security to just be there, fully be there. And looking back, I don't feel like I was a guest at my husband's family reunion. I feel like I was at our family reunion. Discovery, the forceful goodness of the kingdom of God is available to us now, and the only requirement is participation. While the band comes back up, we are going to shift our focus to the communion table. And this is a simple meal of bread and juice that Jesus shared with his followers in which these element, elements symbolize his body and blood. And when we participate in this ancient meal, it's an opportunity to remind ourselves of Jesus' sacrificial love in an embodied way and reflect on our relationship with him. So you could experience it as a sort of reunion where you reconnect to God, to yourself, and to others in a tangible experience that you can see, touch, feel. This morning, as you approach the table, consider how you might be being invited towards wholeness. The kingdom of God is made real as we love God, understand ourselves as beloved parts of creation, and pour that love back out into creation. God, thank you that you invite us into wholeness, God, into relationship. God, would you please remove any barriers that we have to connecting with you, with ourselves, and to one another. God, we want to make your love and your kingdom real now. 
God, thank you that you are already doing this all in and around us and that all we have to do is participate. In Jesus' name.